Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. I just say if you're praying for loved ones in your family, don't stop. Keep praying. Keep praying. God always is trying to initiate a conversation with us, and we just have to be able to hear him. And so I pray that you continue to pray that your family members and your friends would just allow their ears to be able to hear. That's what we need. That's what we need. I want you to look in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Thank you for those testimonies. It's always encouraging to hear those. Matthew chapter 5. I want to read a couple of verses here. Reading from the NIV, it says this. It says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Lord, I pray that you would just take these words the next few moments. Use them, Lord. Sharpen them against our hearts. Help us, Lord, to not leave here, Lord, empty, Lord, but help us to leave full of your word. I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do and speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, I was in Houston at a restaurant. Shannon and I were down there for a ball game. We were in Houston, and I, was, and I noticed this lady who had sat down. She was on break, and her kids came and visited her on break, and I saw them, and they were asking for some money. That's what kids do, right? Can I get an amen from parents? And she dug into her purse, and she gave her kids, these two young kids, I would say they were, in their, they were young teenagers, Gave them some money. And I looked over at her. We were close enough. And I said, wow, what a great mom. I just, I always engage people. I said, wow, what a great mom. And she said this to me. She said, she said, you know what? Those kids are fantastic. She said, they never, they never cause trouble. They're always usually staying at home, reading books. They make good grades. And this is what she said. She said, I am blessed. I'm blessed. Now, if you've looked on social media or if you've looked in Facebook, you've seen that phrase, hashtag blessed, or I'm blessed. Or if you ask somebody today, maybe you even heard them say this morning, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. And my question to you is, is what does that really mean? What does it mean to say I'm blessed? Well, to be honest, there's actually two definitions to being blessed. One definition and one understanding to being blessed is that you are uh, filled with pleasure, that you are content or most notably, that you are happy. You're happy. I'm blessed. I'm happy. There is another definition of blessed that you need to understand as well, which also means as being consecrated, being made holy, or being made useful for God's purpose. Now, that's a big difference from just being happy. But being consecrated for God's purpose, you have been blessed you could say you have been anointed, you have been made set apart, you have been consecrated, you've been made as holy. And what you have to do is we need to ask ourselves, when I say that I am blessed, am I really saying that I am currently happy with my life or that I am currently fulfilling the purpose that God created me to do? It's a big difference. And I think that we, flow, we throw that around. Oh, I'm just blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. 
Is it your current circumstance that causes you to feel that way? Or is it because you are fulfilling God's purpose in your life? Here's the wonderful thing. God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to live a blessed life. And here's the great part. He's good with both definitions. He's good with both definitions. God doesn't want you to walk around mopey and depressed and sad. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be thrilled about the current circumstances that you find yourself in. But God also wants you to know that your purpose is His priority. You see, God wants us to be blessed. And He always starts with the second definition and then works to the first. That's what you have to remember. The blessing of God begins with the purposes of God in our life. If you want your life to be blessed, seek the purpose of God in your life. Don't seek happiness. Happiness is always temporary. It's always defined by our human culture. It's always defined by our human desires. But the purposes of God are maintained from creation of you when you were conceived in your in your um, mother's womb, in the thought of God, God had a plan for your life. And if you are fulfilling that plan, you will live a blessed life. There is no safer place than walking in the will of God. And so what we see in these verses that I'm about to read is Jesus challenging our assumptions of what defines and our common beliefs of how life is supposed to be, of how life is supposed to be lived. I'm blessed. And what Jesus does is he challenges the distortions, he enlightens us of our misconception, and he confronts the myths of what we believe is the good life. We all have a concept of the good life. Is that bugging y'all as much as it's bugging me? Maybe it'll stop. If it doesn't stop, going to cast it out like Jesus cast the devils out, and I'll grab that mic. We all have an assumption of what a good life is. We believe that a good life is defined by a certain set of characteristics. Let me just, let, let me just help you connect to this idea before I get into more scripture this morning. I was reading an article, and the article began to talk about this uh, marketing group and they begin to market a, a product called, it was a shampoo product. And they, their marketing campaign planned out this shampoo product so that the, the, uh, the product, actually this shampoo began to sell tremendous amounts of product throughout the United States. And the ad, the, the commercial, was an ad about a guy getting into a shower and using this shampoo. And if you were to watch that advertisement, you'd see this guy that's just transformed. I mean, it's just like perfect hair. He goes into the shower, he comes out, man, and he's just got great-looking hair. I don't know why they didn't ask me to do that commercial. They begin to talk about how they put this commercial together, and they, they, they said that they actually used 17 different people during the course of this commercial. But if you were watching the commercial, you only saw one person. They used hand models. People that make a living just because they have the perfect hands. They used arm models, and of course they had hair models, and once again they did not ring my phone. They used 17 different people 
just to make this one commercial. And it, like I said, if you were just watching the commercial, you would never know that there was 17 different people. You only saw one. You saw one guy going into a shower looking one way and coming out looking totally different. I can just tell you it was false advertising because I used that shampoo. I went into the shower this morning. I came out and I looked exactly the same. <laughs> but that is what Jesus confronts because what Jesus confronts is that the world will always give you a picture of something that really in the, in underneath it, it's not true. The world will show you a picture that's a little bit deceiving. As I was preparing for this message, I came across an, an excerpt from a book called Happiness Hypothesis. And this, it's an, a, an author, he asked the question of what would bring people, what would bring people the most happiness? And he makes a comparison to people. And here's what he, he comes up with a couple of instances. I want you to listen to this. He compares a couple of people. One person, he says, Richard is an ambitious 36-year-old commodities trader living in South Florida. He's healthy and drop-dead handsome. Maybe some of you guys' phone rang on that one too. Mine did. Thank Yes, Lord. He lives alone in a beachfront house with a pool. His social circle is large and he's always surrounded by gorgeous women. His job is stressful, but he plans to spend the holidays relaxing in Tahiti. Unencumbered, he has time to read, to write, he runs marathons, and he recently helped fund a large relief effort aimed at Ukrainian refugees in Europe. Another woman named Lorena. She's a 64-year-old black woman living in Boston. She is overweight, not particularly attractive. She is on weekly dialysis, not, but doesn't. She's on weekly dialysis, but that doesn't impede her active, active social life and babysitting all of her grandchildren. She's a retired school assistant, and she's still in love with her 67-year-old husband. She's especially respected in her church, and she organizes the semi-annual blood drive there. She believes in tithing. I really like this article at this point. He, she has recently organized a bake sale to raise money for street shelters in the Boston area. And what happens in this article, as I read through this, just researching this, it caught my attention because he said, following this, he, he polled the readers and he posed this question. He said, what do you think or who do you think is the happiest person? And the vast majority of Americans that read this and it looked at this, the vast majority of people chose Richard. Why? Because Richard's good-looking, he can do what he wants. He can do it when he wants it. He, can, he has a lot of money. He can accomplish big things. But according to the author's research of the things that truly make people happy, Richard went 0 for 5 and Lorena went 5 for 5. If I were to hold up the picture of both of them today, just the picture... Maybe a picture of Lorena sitting in the dialysis office and Richard sitting on the beach. Your first guess, I would say, almost 100%, you would assume that Richard is leading the happier life. 
I mean, we're in church and you're trying to really say, nope, Lorena, she's the one, you know, because you're trying to be good. You're impressing Jesus right now. But what, what the reality is in real life, the rea- real life, if I were to show you their pictures, you'd say, man, that guy must be happy. He's sitting on the beach. Let's be honest. Take your halo off and be honest. That's really what you would do because the first assumption that we have of a happy life We are conditioned to believe that way. Why? Because we are constantly presented pictures in our society, in our culture, of what the good life is supposed to look like. You and I are both, we are susceptible, we have been conditioned in our culture through media, through advertising, through the internet, through the television, through movies. We have been told what the good life is. The definition has been placed in front of all of us. And to be honest, if we're all honest, we all come to the first assumption that is always the same. We meet on that ground where we agree, yeah, Richard must be happy. And that's exactly what Jesus confronts in Matthew chapter 5. He confronts the assumptions of what the good life is. He confronts and redefines the good life. And he gives us nine values, nine responses that should define every person's life. He redefines life. And he responds to myths, those assumptions that we have, by bringing a new definition to what it means to have a good life. He begins like this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first myth that Jesus tackles, the first myth that Jesus begins to confront is the myth that you have to have it all in order to have a good life. You got to have it all. You got to have the best house. You got to drive the nicest car. You have to have to have the most in the bank account. And if you don't have all of that, you can't have the good life. Because, you know, people 2,000 years ago, they thought that it was what you had that gave you the good life. Can I just tell you that 2,000 years later, nothing has changed? If you're honest, We look at ourselves and we say, man, if I could only have this, I could live the good life. If I only had that, if I could only get there, if I only had that job, if only this was that. And we live our lives in the if-only moments thinking that if we could just get this, if I could feel better, if I could do this, then I would have the good life. But honestly, my friends, that is just not true. That's the myth that Jesus tries to confront. You see, marketing advertisers and and marketing, you see it everywhere. When you walk out of this this church and you get into your car, you're going to drive down a street, there's going to be billboards, there's going to be signs, there's going to be ads and windows. You're going to see on the Internet, you're going to see in the television, at the cowboy game, it's everywhere. Advertisers, they're coming at you and they're designed to tell you that you don't have what it takes to be happy in your life. That's what their goal is. The goal of every marketing company in New York and in Los Angeles is to make you unhappy. To make you believe that you should be dissatisfied with your life. Their job is to tell you that you're driving the wrong car, that you didn't go on the right vacation, that your house is not big enough, that you're wearing the wrong shoes, and you certainly don't have the right deodorant on this morning. That's their goal. That's their goal. And I'm so thankful for Jesus, for John recording the words of Jesus in John 10.10 when he says this. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Thank God Jesus has told us that he has come to give us real true life. 
You don't have to have all that other stuff. But blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, there's a deeper level to that. And that's what I really to attach to. That's just to keep you from falling asleep. That's what that's done. There's a deeper level. He speaks to us about our relationship with God. The person who understands the good life, the person who understands the blessed life, isn't the person who always thinks that they bring the most to the table. The person who really gets it, who really understands what the good life is, is the one with the inward recognition of their heart, the person who is aware of their own spiritual need. Let me read Matthew 5, 3 in the message translation. It says this, You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God in His rope. And that's powerful. You're blessed when you run out of room in your life. When there's no more, there's no more margin. When you don't have margin in your life, that is a great place to be because God says, I can take you where you cannot even see to go. And when you admit yourself and you say, Lord, I am completely aware of my inadequacy. My life is suffering because I have tried to do it on my own. I need to find that place where I am poor in spirit. I recognize my own need. I don't have the best idea for my life. God, you have the best idea for my life. So here's our response. As Jesus breaks that myth down, here's your first response. You invest your life where it counts the most. Invest your life in the place that it counts the most. It's important to invest your life in places that nobody is going to see. Now, our society tells us that everything in our life is all about what's on the outside. It's how you look. It's where you live. It's what you drive. It's what you do. Everything is is superficial. The outside can look great, but I can just tell you the inside can be a complete mess. And you have to learn to invest your life in the place that counts the most. Jesus says, grow where it matters the most. Grow in your thoughts, grow in your feelings, grow in your cravings, grow in your desires. And that growth usually takes time. We've got several post oak trees in my backyard. I love shade trees. But there's multiples of shade trees. Down our street, people have post oaks. They've got uh, mulberries. They've got hackberries. Some even have silverleaf maple trees. Now, let me just tell you something. A maple tree is a great shade tree. An oak tree is a great shade tree. But there are differences in those trees. An oak tree's root system is different than a maple. An oak tree shoots straight down. It's one of the deepest rooted trees there is. The roots crawl deep. They spread out like a funnel underneath the ground. A maple tree is a little bit different. Instead of going deep, a maple tree spreads real wide and real broad. And the runners on a maple tree can run hundreds of feet past a tree. Maple tree is different as far as how the roots grow. A maple tree is also different as far as the hardness of the wood. An oak tree is hardwood. 
A maple tree is what is called softwood. But here's the thing about maple trees. They grow twice as fast as an oak tree. People could plant a maple tree, and they do this in a lot of new developments. They'll plant maples because maples grow up real quick. They spread out real quick. Here's what's happening. In these Texas storms that blow through, half of that tree gets ripped apart because it just can't stand the force of the wind. These young maples that are young and they're, and they're susceptible to, to the heat because they're not deep-rooted and they're susceptible to the winds because they're not as strong as an oak tree, they break, the branches fall off, but they grow quick. It's not all about investing in something that's going to turn a quick profit in your life. But you have to learn to invest the things that count the most, that things that are going to matter the most. Our culture says everything has to be done overnight. You have to grow uh, quickly. You have to grow rapidly. And then you're going to be well on your way. But I'm just telling you that deep and solid is always a better way to invest. You see, the speed of growth in your life is not nearly as important as the certainty of growth in your life. I'd rather know that a Christian person is not just rabidly going through the scriptures and and praying, hey, I'm spending like two hours a day in prayer. Hey, that's great. I'm not going to stop you. But here's my question to you, my friend. I want to know if I'm going to be able to be certain that you're going to be doing that in six months. Will you still be growing in six months? Will you still be investing in your spiritual life in six months? Sprints are great. My son is a sprinter, and we have flown all the way to Colorado Springs. We've flown to, I can't remember the last, where where did we go the last time? We were somewhere. We flew up there to watch Seth run a 13-second race. Praise God. Is it over already? Because by the time I got back from the concession stand, it was over. Where were you? You missed the race. What? It's not, it's not bad to, to grow fast, but the certainty of your growth, it's the kind of growth that challenges us, that stretches us. We have to learn to invest. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not something that you're going to tackle in a day or a week to, to expose yourself to the kingdom. I, I can't wait till we get there and we begin to walk through that place. We're not just going to be able to examine heaven in about 30 minutes. We're going to be able to spend an eternity there exploring and seeing all the good things that God has created for His people. We're going to get to experience the presence of the Lord, not in just a quick burst of worship like we had this morning. We're going to get to see and to be with Him all for eternity. Hallelujah. Invest in the things that count the most. In America today, it's commonly regarded that you build the church to, and by standing up and telling people everything that good that God's going to do for them. Just go up there on Sunday morning, preacher, and you just preach all the good stuff that God's going to do for you. Let me just tell you something. Too many people come to church to hear how God can make them feel better, but God comes to church to tell us how He can make us be better. not about your feelings this moment it's about knowing 
your exposure. Knowing that I am poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I may not have it all together, God, but I do know that I am blessed because I know it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You look at that and you say, seriously? You're going to put that in the greatest sermon of all time? Wish we'd have left that one out. What does this have to do with living the good life? What does crying, mourning, have to do with living the good life? Well, here's the myth that Jesus confronts about life here. Blessed are those who mourn. Here's the myth. That the good life is always absent from pain. The good life's absent of pain. You know, in every one of our lives here this morning, there's heartache. There's discouragement. There's disappointment. We've all gone through things that don't make sense. We've all gone through things that you've said, God, why? We've all gone through things that you've said, God, how can you let this happen? This is not fair. And I stand here this morning and I see some of you and I know some of your personal stories. I know some of the things that you have gone through, some of the things that you have walked some of the things that life has brought you and I look at you and you showed up on a Sunday morning, you're still here. You're still here. Why is that? From the loss and the pain and the struggle, why is that that you're still here? It's because you understand something, that the good life goes beyond the pain of life. It's not what you have and it's not even what you don't have. That gives you the good life. That's what Jesus is saying. The ones who are blessed are the ones who have this anchor point. Last week, Shannon and I were in Seattle. We went out on the Puget Sound. We floated around in a little, little ferry boat, took pictures of the, of the shoreline. And we came through this shipping area. And honestly, we've never seen that type of shipping, you know, where massive... Uh, gantry cranes are hanging over the water just unloading thousands and thousands and thousands of tons of goods in these, in these shipping, on these shipping barges. Massive barges, three or four hundred feet long. Huge, huge barges. As a matter of fact, there was one that was anchored right there just off of the, off of the city coast, right there in, 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 in the sound. It was anchored, and as we, as we drove this ferry in front of it, I looked out front and there was this massive anchor that just shot straight down into the water. Holding this huge, huge cargo ship with tons and tons, I mean like hundreds of thousands of pounds of weight. Now when the wind was blowing, if it didn't have that anchor down in that water, it would have moved it would have beached itself somewhere. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, it's not really the anchor that's holding that boat. It's actually the ground holding the boat. It's ground that's not moving, but it's the anchor 
that's attached to the ground. And in our lives, that anchor is the understanding that we can connect to something that is immovable, that we can reach out to something that does not change, to someone who does not change. That is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not move. He will not allow us to crash. He will not let us float and beach ourselves and scatter our lives across, uh, across the, the land and, and wreck our ship. But if we hold fast that knowledge of knowing that He is stable, then blessed are those who mourn. Because they will be comforted. And that's what Jesus comes. He challenges, he challenged that whole idea of, of, of the good life is not a life that's that's absent of pain, but it's a life that understands that there is an anchor point. So what do we respond to it? Our response is this: you just accept that life is tough, but God is enough. Accept the fact life is tough, but God is enough. There's been times in mine and Shannon's life where I've cried my eyes out because of what was going on. One of the most challenging emotions that I've ever had was when Sawyer was born. Some of you have heard that story. I remember asking God why, looking for answers. And you know what? Every time that those moments have come up in my life, and I've said, God, why or Lord will you just say something to me would you just give me peace in every situation do you realize that every time that I have ever asked as I thought about this every time I have asked God in those moments of my life when weeping and crying were the norm I said God give me an answer here do you know his answer has always been the same it's always been the same and I will just I would like to just submit to you that the same answer is the one that you get. And it's this. Lord, what's the answer? Lord, give me the answer. The answer always comes back. I'm with you. That's it. I'm with you. But God, I don't understand. Would you please explain? Lord, deliver me. Free me from this. I'm with you. Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, if I were to tell you that I could live a completely happy life with no troubles and no problems and no sleepless nights, but those people that I love around me would not be a part of my life, you know what I'd say? Bring on the trouble. And I bet that you would too. Bring it on, God. Because you know that you're with me. You see, some of our struggles are worth the opportunity to know God's presence in a closer way. Your pain has a purpose. There's a purpose in the pain to know God. You see, life comes with no warranties. But Jesus is the only one that brings a certificate of guarantee to your life. There's no warranty in life. There's no 
There's no promise that things are going to work out. Jesus walks in and he's got the only certificate of guarantee. And he says, hey, I have already won the war. I have already defeated your enemies. I have already given my life. My blood still flows. That's the guarantee that I will be with you. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Jesus gives us the guarantee. He's better than the customer service department at Walmart. I heard they took back a dirty diaper. Who does that? People wear jeans for five years and bring them back to Walmart. Hey, these don't fit. Yeah, you're eating too many ding-dongs and Twinkies. There's a guarantee. And he'll take your brokenness and he'll take your crying, and he'll take your weeping, he'll take your sin, he'll take your, your unforgiveness, he'll take your bitterness, he'll take your, your anger, he'll take all of that. He said, just come on, just come on, come on, bring it all to me, bring it all to me, come to me, come to me, bring it to me, and I guarantee you, I'll walk you through it. I'll bring you to the end of it. You can guarantee it, he is the guarantee. Blessed are the meek, he said they will inherit the earth. I'll promise you that UNT's school of business does not teach meekness. The Harvard School of Business, the Wharton School of Business, they do not teach meekness. Some of you UNT grads, did you hear any meekness taught in your business administration class? No, you didn't. Because the myth is is that the only way that this world will work for you is if you are forceful and if you're always trying to push your way to the front of the line. That's the myth that Jesus comes against. That the only way to really do well in life is you have to be assertive. The good life is all about promoting yourself and selling yourself to other people. I mean, how many times have we been told it's not what you know, it's who you know? Come on, amen, somebody. You just push yourself to the front of the line. You just do whatever you can. Get yourself up there in the front of the line. We visited Seattle there, and it's the home of Starbucks. I'd rather drink McDonald's coffee, honestly. McDonald's coffee's better. All you Starbucks you know, coffee snobs, you just keep it. We were down in Pike at the, it's, it's called, I didn't know, we, we discovered that Pike Place Coffee is because there's a street called Pike Place. Oh, okay. Shannon says, we got to go to the original Starbucks. I said, okay, let's go. Let's go. We walk down there, and I'm like, I'm passing all these people, like, hey, how are you? How are you? I'm like, where's the, new, where's the Starbucks? Oh, you passed it. It's back there. I said, okay, well, what are y'all doing? He said, we're in line. I needed binoculars to see the end of the line. I said, come on, babe, we, we don't need coffee that bad. She says, we're not getting coffee. We're just buying a mug. I said, really? And I said, do you really want to? Have you, you guys know that sometimes when your wife sets her mind on something, you just might as well just, you, you know, you can suck on your thumb because it's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. I was like, this, this is a 40, this is an hour wait. We're going to wait. God help us. She circled us around and she stuck us right there in the line. What I did not realize, how much fun I was going to have in that line 
watching all these crazy people in that city. It was beautiful. I'm a people watcher, and I love, it's like sitting down at the mall when your wife goes off to do her to spend all your money. You just sit down in the chair, and you're just sitting there watching people and say, wow, God, you've got creative abilities. God, you've got a sense of humor. <laughs> Don't get all sanctified on me. I know y'all do the same thing. Y'all do the same thing. Wow, God, impressive. I saw people in Seattle. I didn't even know there were people like that. And I'm just going to leave that there because I'm going to get way off my message. But we always believe that we've got to get our way to the front of the line. And I, it, what was funny was there was a little, a little couple that came. There was two or three young, uh, you know, college, you know, uh, hip, hipsters. That's it, hipsters. And they come cruising up, you know, and they got their toboggan pulled down, you know, and they're, they're you know, they're, they got their, well, just, this is not hipster, okay? Just, just imagine, opposite. And, and they come up, and they're like, they just kind of get up there, and Shannon goes, mm, the line is back there. And I was just like, yeah. Because we're told that the front, you got, you got to push your way to the front of the line. Sometimes you have to cut. We're told that to get ahead, you have to do this, and you have to do that. When's the last time you saw a movie where the hero who was wronged and somebody shot his dog and, and somebody burned his house down, when do you ever get to see the hero come back and he gets all of the enemies lined up and he says, you know what, guys? I'm going to pass this time. No, that's not what we go to the movies to see. We want to see him take revenge. We want to see him thump those guys because they shot his dog. They burn his house down. Pow! Pound them, guy. Pound them. Instead of, you know what? I'm going to save it for next time. We don't go to see that. That's not entertaining for us. Why? Because we're told that the only way to get ahead in life is you have to make yourself in the front of the line. You see, the, weak, the, the word meekness is not weakness. It is the Greek word praus. That word actually was used when they talked about reining horses. I love to ride horses. We got a fellow rider right back there in the back. Loves to be around horses. They're so strong. They're so fast, but when you put a bridle on them, they'll go where you want them to go. And sometimes it takes a little encouragement, but you can do it. And that's what happens is meekness. So what do you do? What do you do? You have to understand this. That it's not what you cry about that matters, but it's who you cry out to. Blessed are those who mourn. It's not what you cry about. It's who you're crying out to. Oh, God! Accept that life is tough. In meekness, you respond like this. Don't take yourself too seriously. Stop trying to push yourself in the front line. Don't take yourself too, too seriously. When you think too highly of yourself, you usually think too lowly of God. If you want to know what this world really thinks about you, 
Go to the post office. Just go to the post office and see where they place you in line when you walk in. You can walk up there and tell Mr. Stamp Thumper, Sir, do you know who I am? Uh, yes, sir. Back of the line. Just go to the post office and they will certainly show you where, where you are in line. Don't take yourself too serious. If you want to realize how important you are to this world, go home in your little safe box or go visit the bank in your, in your, in your uh, safety box there, pull it out, and look at the insurance papers that you have. Most of you are worth more dead than you are alive. I know I am. As far as the world is concerned. I'm glad I got an amen from you. Because I don't want to come, come awake tonight with a pillow over my face and I'm saying, what in the world? You want to enjoy the good life? You want to get ahead in life? You learn constraint. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit. You see, what you have to realize is that he owns the cattle on a thousand hill. He owns it all. If you want it, you have to be with him. You have to be his child. You have to be his heir. It's not you pushing yourself to the front of the line. It's you saying, hey, I'm in the right line. I am following him. He is the one that's going to give it to me. Let me close with this. Oh, my goodness. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The myth is, is that if you follow God, you can't enjoy life. Ah. Because there's always, you can't do this now that you're a Christian. You can't do this. Don't do this. Don't find yourself here. Let me tell you something. You may live different, and you should live different in a Christian, as a Christian, but you don't have to give up the greatest life that there is on this planet. Can I get some amens from Christian believers out there? Following God is the greatest adventure you will ever go on in your life. The great life, the good life is serving Jesus because you never know what he's going to do for you. You never know where he's going to lead you. You never know what he's going to surprise you with. And it may come out of nowhere. You may be asking for it for a long time. But let me tell you something. The world can't give it to you, but God can always provide a way to give it to you. Seek him. Seek him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That deep desire that you're longing for in your life, you'll find contentment only in him. And here's your response. Always maintain a holy discontent in your life. Don't get complacent in your spiritual life. Don't get complacent. Keep this passion that compels you to want to know the Lord more. More, Lord, more. most likely person that will not be in church today is a person who has known God but they allowed their relationship with Him to become routine. When your passion tends to wane It will strip you of the greatest part of your life.
When your passion for God begins to fade, the real challenge for people is not to pursue God, it is to pursue God passionately in their older years as well as in their younger years. The real challenge for you as a Christian is not how much you seek and desire God right after you get saved, because let me tell you something, that just happens, and if it doesn't happen, I might even question the work that God did for you at that altar. There, there should be a incredible change. You should just be running out of here. Jesus saved my life. He transformed me. He, he turned me into John the Baptist. I'm on the street. I've got this enthusiasm. The real challenge comes a year later when the new has wore off and you can fall into a routine, which is nothing but a grave with both ends knocked out of it, just a rut in your spiritual life. And all of a sudden, you're not hungering. You're not thirsting for righteousness and that's why you're never satisfied the good life is a satisfied life because it stays hungry it stays thirsty i'd like for you just to bow your head this morning this is our holiday season and as we approach Thanksgiving and all these events, Christmas, it's a season where people become very introspective. They, they begin to think about their lives. They begin to think of and consider values. They begin to contemplate who they really are, what their place is in life. You start looking at yourself and you ask questions. Let me tell you, we can allow our spiritual life to become very complex sometimes, but it's really very simple. And what I want to remind you of this morning is that what the world tells you that the good life is, it's a myth. Jesus shows us what the good life is. You don't have to have it all have a good life. You don't have to be absent. Your life doesn't have to be absent of problems to have the good life. You don't have to push yourself, to push your way to the front of the line. You don't have to make yourself always up front and available so that you can be advanced to have the good life. You don't become content. Just stay hungry. My question this morning is very simple. You say, Pastor, I'm not living that life right now. And I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. I'm going to have you stand. But you say, Pastor, I'm, that's not the life that I'm living this morning. Some of you may not living that life because you don't know that life. The only way to begin that life is you have to know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, He's the beginning. He is the author of our faith. And He's also the finisher of our faith. So if you're here this morning and you don't know him, I want you to slip your hand up and you say, you know, I have, I'd like to have a personal relationship with Jesus this morning because that's, how, that's what begins this life. Yes, thank you for raising your hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? You want to know the Lord in a, in a greater way. You want to know him, truly know him. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for raising your hand. Anybody else? No matter who you are, you're not living that life because you don't know Jesus. You want to know him in a very real way this morning. 
Is there anybody else you say, Pastor, that's, I'm not living the life because I'm, I'm trying to chase things in the world and I'm trying to do it the, the world's way and I want to be honest with God this morning. Would you raise your hand and you say, God, I, 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 the Holy Spirit spoke to me and some of the things that you said this morning, I'm trying to do it the world's way. I want to do it God's way. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. I want to do it God's way. I don't want to do this my way anymore. Because that's the real life. People of God, you're praying this morning because there's some who have raised their hands and they're calling out on Jesus today. If you raise your hand and you say, I don't know the Lord, I don't know Jesus, here's what I want you to do. It's very simple. You have to accept the very fact of what I said first. You don't have it all together. You're not living God's purpose. You're not blessed because you haven't found the purpose that God has created you for, and that is to know Him. And what has happened is sin has broken that relationship. Sin. Failures. Broken promises, lies. Things that, that you have done. Behaviors that has just broken that relationship off. The, just where your heart is. It's just, you don't know him. And so what you do is you just trust the Lord. You believe that Jesus loves you and he has forgiven you if you ask. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you're saved. You begin to, you begin to, to, to talk to him and you say, Lord Jesus, I'm lost. And I want you to save me. Bring me into a relationship with you. This morning, if that's you, I want you to pray that prayer this morning as I, as I pray with you. If you raised your hand, you said, Pastor, I'm, I'm off. I'm trying to do it God's way. I want to pray for you as well. I'd like for everybody in the room to, to very reverently and quietly please stand right where you are, and I want to pray over you before we go anywhere today. If you would, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. or Stand to your feet, please. Would you just lift your hands all across this room just as a sign of surrender to the Lord, and would you just pray a prayer? If you raise your hand to know Jesus, Ask Jesus to come into your heart to forgive you of your sin, renew your life. If you're off base, say, Lord, bring me back. Nothing else will do. Father, I praise you and I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for every person who is here in this room. I ask that, oh God, that, Lord, those who raise their hands, this young lady, Lord, this young man, Lord, this, this, this young lady, Lord, I pray that, God, that you would help them, Lord, right now, Lord, to just... Lord, confess themselves to you. Lord, just to be honest with you, God. To be honest that they don't have what, what it takes, Lord. That they, that they have failed you. That they have broken promises, Lord. That they have, Lord, that they're not capable of knowing you. That only you, Jesus, can bring them into a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that right now that they ask you to forgive them of their sin, Lord. And that they make that commitment, Lord, not just to, not just to pray a prayer, but to commit to walking, to making you not just their Savior, but to making you their Lord. Father, I pray that, God, that they, would, that they would receive that forgiveness of the sin in their life and that, Lord, they would confess with their mouth that, Jesus, you are Lord, that you're going to lead their life. 
I thank you for these three people who raised their hand this morning, and I pray that, God, that you would just let the Spirit of the Lord just fill their heart right now. Holy Spirit, transform them, Lord, right now, Lord. Let them feel the power of salvation, Lord, not just a spoken word, not just a simple prayer, but a powerful generation of the Spirit of God in their heart, Lord, right now. Rebuild their life from the inside out. Lord, let Jesus be the number one focus from here on out. Holy Spirit, take control of their life. (laughs) Make an example, Lord God, to them, Lord God. I pray that you would just challenge their hearts right now to serve you with everything that they have. Make it firm. Burn it in their hearts, oh God. Brand it upon them. Seal them by the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, let them know that they know that they know that they know that they're saved and that they're forgiven and that they're freed. And Lord, that they're going their their way to heaven. Lord, thank you, Lord, for salvation this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, God, for salvation. Lord, bless us, Lord. If we've gotten off, Lord, help us, Lord, to refocus our attention, Lord, not on what the world tells us is a good life, but on what you tell us is a good life. Lord, help us refocus. Help us to retrain our eyes, to retrain our thoughts, to retrain our minds, to focus upon what you define as a good life. And we give you thanks, and we give you honor, and we give you glory for all that you've done this morning for your presence in our hearts, for your, Lord, for the, for the touch that we have felt this morning. I thank you. I honor you. And I give you praise in the mighty, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. Let's praise him right now. Come on, before we leave. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.